This is In-Ear Insights, the Trust Insights Podcast. In this week's In-Ear Insights, we have a uh, listener slash reader question from Doug who says, was asking about proper A-B testing. So Katie, here's the scenario. Doug says, I have an interesting non-random case. I have a hard time explaining to the team that what follows does not count as an A-B test. We give a list to sales reps each month that they have to go through to ask people to renew their memberships. We believe they go through them in order and usually finish about 80% of the list. There's no particular logic to the order in the list. It's just an output of a, of a script. The situation seems pretty close to random, except that a rep can choose to skip someone, and the list does have an order that's probably close to random. We wanted to see the success rate between those who are contacted and those who are not. What's wrong here that I'm missing? So, Katie, you spent 10 years in pharma doing clinical trials and an a b test is nothing more than a properly blinded randomized controlled trial right in your yeah in your perspective is this an a b test and if it isn't a, a randomized controlled trial what do you see wrong with it um i mean it it, it can be it's if you follow the procedures correctly and so you know, the first thing that sticks out to me that this uh, person is communicating to you is that the sales reps can skip over people that there nullifies the test. Um, you know, in a true, this is obviously not a clinical trial. This is, you know, a sales process. Um, and theoretically, it's not a life or death situation. In a true clinical trial, you can't just randomly decide to skip over people because you don't feel like calling them or you don't feel like communicating with them because it could be life or death. And you do invalidate your research findings because you did not follow the preset procedure. And so, you know, you can, I think one of the things that we like to do is we like to borrow some of the guidelines from that more stringent testing. But because we're talking about, you know, calling someone or not calling someone to buy your piece of software, it's probably not as critical to follow that stringent A-B test. And so, you know, in this case, you know, it sounds like he was just kind of curious about something, but he's not going to necessarily, I mean, I don't know. We would need to find out, like, based on what you find out, are you going to change your sales process or not? I mean, that's probably the first question. If it's more of just, a, I'm curious, then it really doesn't matter if they're stringently following um, whether or not the sales reps are calling, not calling, communicating with the people on the list. What do you think, Chris? Well, the first thing that came to me was, what are we testing? Are we are we A-B testing the sales reps? Or are we A-B testing the audience? Are you looking for a difference in the audience or in the procedures that you're using? So that was my first question was, there's not really a hypothesis. A good test has a clearly defined hypothesis, and this one doesn't. Um, you know, success rate between those who are contacted and those who are not can mean a lot of things. And there's a lot of variables to unpack in there, as opposed to saying, you know, we're going to test calling on Tuesdays at 9 a.m. versus calling Wednesdays at 9 a.m. to see which is the better time to call. Like, that's a very clear uh, hypothesis. And you could say, we believe uh, calling Wednesdays at 9 a.m. will have a 5% increase in sales. That's a provably true or false statement. Whereas, you know, which is more successful? Like you said, it's not really a a test per se. It's just kind of a, I wonder, I, there's nothing wrong with an I wonder. That's the start of a good test because you ask a good question, but it's like right. not rigorous enough. It sounds to me like the goal of this was to test the overall outcome. And so the hypothesis, if you start to piece it together is, 
people who are contacted are more likely to convert versus people who aren't. And so to your point, Chris, there's not a whole lot of guideline around what that means. Um, you know, or is it the outcome being they picked up the phone and are re-engaged? And so there are a lot of missing pieces. Uh, but again, this isn't a clinical trial. This is someone who is just trying to see if they could maybe get a few more sales through the door, I'm assuming. Um, I, I would assume so, yeah. I would assume so. So, you know, I don't, so you had said, are we testing the audience or are we testing the sales reps? This to me doesn't sound like something that's being set up to test the sales reps per se. Like that would, the outcome would need to be something different. So you would, I guess you would give the sales reps different messaging, but the same audience, like you would, the audience would be the control and what the sales rep is um, working with might be the experimental part. But in this case, the way in which you're interacting with the audience is the experimental part and the sales rep is the control. And so mm -hmm. the sales rep is the constant and then the audience is getting different types, is getting subjected to different methods. Whereas if you were testing the sales reps, it would be sort of the opposite. And that's a really important point, I think, because again, if you don't clearly define what it is you're testing, you at, at, on a good day, you'll get mixed results. On a bad day, you'll have a completely invalid test because there's literally no way to figure out what's going on. The other part that I thought was that really stood out was what you had said about people being able to skip things, right? Um, you know, a, a silly slash not silly example would be like if uh, if the sales reps were all guys, like I just want to talk to other guys and get some gets business done, right? And they skip over people with female sounding names, you are then partitioning the audience in a way that is con counter contradictory to the idea of a randomized trial. Unless it is built into the test plan that you will only, and that becomes a factor that you will only talk to, you know, uh, male gendered test subjects or something like, and so all of that has to be predefined. You can't just randomly decide it after the fact. Um, that was something that we dealt with a lot. Uh, and it was, you know, it made actually recruiting for the clinical trials a little bit more tricky is trying to get that, you know, blended mix of genders and backgrounds and ethnicities. And depending on what it is that you're trying to test, that can be really tricky. Um, just as an example, um, as a quick anecdote, one of the products that we were doing a clinical trial on to find about to find out about the efficacy of self-report of your substance abuse, your substance use and abuse to a computer versus to a person. And mm. one of the populations that we were testing uh, was the Asian population. And that, you know, what we learned was that that population tends to be very private and not talk about those kinds of things. Like it's just, you don't, you don't talk about it, you don't acknowledge it. And so it made recruiting for the clinical trial very, very tricky because we couldn't find anyone who was willing to participate because that would then mean that they would be open enough to talk about whatever it was they had going on. And so those are, you know, in a true, you know, clinical trial, those are things that you have to factor in. Um, but again, going back to this example of, um, you know, just testing the sales process, it probably isn't a bad idea to first take a look at the type of audience you have and what information you already have about them. And so, 
you know, I know when I sign up for certain things, a lot of times it asks me about my preferred communication method. Do you want to get a text message? Do you want to get a phone call? Do you want to get an email? And, you know, 10 times out of 10, I don't want to be called. So I just want an email. And so that might be something uh, to take a look at first. And so if you are, you know, all of a sudden calling people who said, don't call me, then yeah, maybe that's worth testing because maybe they click the wrong button or maybe they just really don't want to talk to you. So like, there's a lot of different ways to look at your audience, but you really need to understand them first before you can say, and this is what I'm going to introduce to experiment with. That's a really important point and probably one that never happens before an A-B test. If I think about if I think about all of our client interactions, we've had <clears throat> uh, people doing, you know, different A-B tests and things. I don't think anybody sits down and actually does the exploratory data analysis to look at the audience to begin with and say like, okay, is there a, is there a, a, a substantial change on factors we know about like gender? Is there a difference in who responds? Like, you know, Katie, one of the things we found with Trust Insights is for whatever reason, our points of contact and our decision makers, a substantial majority of the time skew as you know, people who identify as female. Um, it, it's overwhelming, I would say. Um, and so without that initial data exploration, it's very hard to even come up with a hypothesis because you don't know what you don't know at that point. Right. Well, and that's, you know, that statement is an anecdotal sort of back of the envelope. Um, you know, I'm sure if we really broke it down, we could come to, you know, very clear, you know, buckets of our audience of identify as male, identify as female, you know, communicative, you know, non-communicative, you know, those kinds of things. Um, and so that definitely might be something for this person to consider is what do they already know about this audience? And, you know, what do they already know about the purchasing patterns of this audience? You know, do they tend to, you know, renew? Are they a one-time, you know, client? Um, if they're a one-time, what does it take to get them to renew? Are the renewals, you know, in their, you know, best interest? Is it something you know, there's a lot of different questions that this person could be asking. Um, and so, you know, obviously we don't have a lot of information to go on. They're basically just saying, you know, we gave the sales reps a list that was randomized to either contact them or non-contact them. But there's a lot of missing information uh, that would make this a more useful exercise. Yep, exactly. And the other thing that I think is really important about that exploratory data analysis, because we've got another client we're working on, you know, processing some survey results on. And at the end of the day, I think w the intent of, you know, some of these questions is, does this thing that we're asking about actually make a difference in the business result we care about, right? So if you want to make more sales, does gender matter? Does time of day matter? Does the salesperson matter? Um, and one of the challenges I see with a lot of data analysis is that people put together tons and tons of charts and graphs and pie charts and, and all sorts of interesting visualizations and, and stuff, but they never actually sit down and answer the question, yes, we think this matters or no, we don't think this matters. And then say, okay, we think this matters. Let's build a test plan around it. It just kind of, you know, as Avinash Kashik says, it's sort of data puking and it's left as an exercise to the reader to try and figure out, eh, yeah, this is something we probably should test for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, so I guess that then begs the question of why did this particular person decide to test this specific thing with the sales reps, you know, communicate versus non-communicate? Um, you know, anecdotally, 
my instinct would be that, you know, you probably do want to be communicating with your customers. You probably do want to be giving them new information. So to, it is a little bit of an odd A-B test per se. Um, you know, when I think of an A-B test, it's, it's more of, it's, it's not the, you know, control and experimental. It's more of the, okay, here's two things. Which one do you prefer, A or B? And so mm. those are, you know, when you really break down, those are two different kinds of tests. Yes. Because when, when this person is describing the sales team is going to contact or not contact, the people who aren't being contacted don't know that they're a part of this test. And so in an A-B test, you do know that you're part of the test and you're given two options or two or more options, an A-B-C test or whatever. And so that might also be part of the problem is the approach of thinking that, you know, it's this or that, it's this or that. To the subjects in the test, they need to know they are this or that. They need to sign up to say, yes, I want to be part of this. And then they're mm -hmm. given the instructions to say, you will either be given this or you will be given that. But it sounds, again, we don't have all the information. It sounds like what's happening is they just decided, let's try this thing. But the consent from the subjects, being their customers, the audience, didn't happen. And mm -hmm. so therefore, the audience doesn't know that they're part of this test. So that's interesting because when we do a lot of A-B testing, like in Google Optimize, for example, on our web pages or in our email marketing software, again, the audience doesn't know that they're part of a test, right? They, you, they, you just see the version of the website that you see. Uh, but I think your point about the existence of a control or not is really important because I've we've seen plenty of cases where marketers running tests badly don't have a control. They're, they're like, okay, we got we have this button on the website, we're going to test red or blue, and the, you know, the button's currently yellow. It's like, well, no, I mean, I guess you can do that, but if you don't have the yellow button in there as a control, you have no idea whether or not this is actually better in the same time frame. I think so. You know, experiment design is a part that's that's clearly lacking there. But again, the good news is that reputable software for doing this in marketing, like Google Optimize, for example, doesn't really give you a choice. Right? <laughs> you right. you have to use control. Uh, you're not given it a choice, but that differentiation between an A-B test versus an actual controlled trial where there is a control and, there, and there's an experimental group is really important. It's something that you should not go without, I would think. Well, and to your point, you know, if let's say, for example, and again, we, I, I keep saying we don't have all the information because I don't want to misspeak about what this company is doing, but let's say the guideline is just communicate with this list, don't communicate with this list. Okay. There's a lot of different ways to communicate with a customer. You can email them, you can message them on social media, you can call them, you can text them. That's already four different things that you're testing compared to this other side of the bucket where nothing is being tested. And so let's say that the group that was communicated with does better. Great, you've tested four different things within that test. So you don't know which of those things was actually effective. And so you need to break it down a little bit more clear. And so if you were to say, I want to A-B test email versus DMing on social media, okay, that I can understand because each group is getting 
something. And so that would be a valid way to think about, you know, understanding which communication method is more effective. Whereas if you're saying we're going to communicate with them by all means necessary versus not, you still don't have valid results because you don't know what worked. Exactly. And here's the part that I, I know for sure marketers don't test uh, and don't look at, um, where, whereas the clinical world does. And, and the surveying world, if your market research is being done properly, does. And that's non-response bias. Um, to your point, is there a difference, not only in the people who responded, but also a difference in people who don't respond, right? The people, you know, for example, uh, people in our generation and older than us are, are generally less hesitant about answering the phone, generally, uh, less because we grew up with telephones, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that was one of the primary methods of communication. Whereas people, for example, in my child's generation will not answer the phone, period, for any reason. Um, and so you have an age difference there in a in a non-response bias where you, it's not just you know person did answer did not answer did respond did not respond but the question we have to ask as as data scientists is is there is a statistically significant difference in the people who didn't respond even when we're looking in our own marketing automation software looking in, in things you know uh, retrospectively is there a difference in people who do and don't open our newsletter for example is there a people a difference in the people who do and don't come back to our website? And if so, is that difference statistically significant? And to your, the question you always ask is, so what is here? Should we do something about it? Um, right. It may turn out like in your example, uh, if you're, te you're texting and emailing and calling and sending postal mail and a certain percentage of the population in the texting bucket doesn't respond, is there a difference? And if so, that might be a setting for a follow-up test to say, yeah, okay, these people who didn't respond to a text are all above the age of 55. Let's try a different, maybe we should try a different method. Mm -hmm. And that's absolutely valid. That was one of the uh, challenges we would run into when we were doing our clinical trials was getting people to show up and participate. And so when you're asking people to be a part of this thing, typically there needs to be something in it for them as well. And so it doesn't have to be like a monetary thing or some sort of you know, form of payment, but you know, if you are working with your audience to test different methods of communication, you also need to think about what's in it for them. What are they getting out of this? Like for you, you know that what you're getting out of it is the likelihood of increased revenue. But if I'm the person who's being contacted, if I'm the person who's being experimented with, what do I get out of it? Do I get a better user experience? Do I get um, more clear preferences around how I do and don't want to be communicated with? Am I being heard? Am I being listened to? Are you actually, you know, responding to my feedback on the thing that you're trying to sell me? So like, what am I, the user getting out of it? Not just what are you, the company getting out of it? And I assume that is also part of experiment design, which again, something that we don't spend a whole lot of time on in marketing. That's, it's absolutely true because we don't think about it in those terms. Um, you know, marketing tends to be very selfish. And I mean that in the sense of, you know, in my experience, and you know, we've all been guilty of this, we tend to think about it from the lens of what do I need to happen? What do I need to communicate? What do I need people to know? And so I make it all about me. And I keep thinking about it from my perspective, and um, more intuitive, more uh, empathetic marketers think about it from the sense of, 
what do my customers need to know? What do my, what does my audience need to benefit from this information? And so it's thinking about marketing just in that sort of flipped. And that's not easy to do, especially if you don't have a lot of that background information about your audience. But marketing does tend to be a very selfish thing. And you sort of, to again, to go back to that comparison of the clinical trial, it doesn't matter what you want. All that matters is that you are working toward the hypothesis that you have set up that has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the outcome of the drug, the intervention, the, you know, whatever the thing is. It doesn't care what you want to happen. The data is going to be the data. And that is one of the big differences between, you know, obviously, aside from the whole, you know, life and death thing, um, <laughs> between a clinical trial and, you know, what we do in marketing. It doesn't like, we tend to not really care if we're getting the result we want, because we can just pivot and change course and do something different until we do get the result that we want. And that's not true of clinical trials. Like the data is the data is the data. Whereas in marketing, even though we're borrowing from, you know, the structure of a clinical trial, we can still be selfish and start to pivot if it's, if we're not getting the result that we want. Should we be borrowing more from <laughs> clinical trials? You know, it really depends. And so this is something that we say that process for the sake of process is not good process. And so structure for the sake of structure doesn't necessarily get you better results. Some kind of structure, some kind of foundation is obviously good. Being able to trace everything back to the question that you're trying to answer to some original hypothesis is very good. But the rigidity of a clinical trial could get in the way of being agile because you can't like if you if you borrow too much from the structure of a clinical trial then you're setting you're putting yourself in this like very stringent unbendable box and the thing that's really nice about marketing is that you can start off with a hypothesis and find out very quickly okay, this is never going to work. This is never going to see the light of day. Let me just go ahead and spin up something different. Or, you know, the data that I'm collecting isn't going to get me to the answer. Therefore, um, you know, let me try a different kind of data. And so with a clinical trial, you do have those phase ones that are a, a, essentially a proof of concept in marketing. What we've talked about is that exploratory data analysis part of part of the phase where that's essentially that phase one. Um, but the big difference is with the marketing exploratory data analysis, it's much easier to pivot than it is in something like a clinical trial. So yes, you can borrow, but I wouldn't borrow so strictly that you are making yourself unproductive and unable to move forward. Got it. So to recap, is is Doug's question uh, of whether this is an A/B test uh, accurate? The answer is no. It's in in the form presented. It does not appear to be a good A/B test. Uh, is something that's clearly a trial um, that has a hypothesis that's clearly defined, so you know what you're testing for. Um, has randomization so that you're eliminating biases as much as possible. Might even be blinded. Uh, again, you know, to the example of you know, should someone be able to skip based on uh, uh, you know calling something? The answer is no. Um, it's it, if not, if you want it to be good design. So, uh, if you got questions about an, an A/B test, oh, go ahead, Katie. Well, the other thing that I would add to that is that you have, you know 
a set of results that you actually do something with. <laughs> Come on. That's that's crazy talk. <laughs> well, again, what's so what? What's the point of testing if you're not going to make a change? Exactly. If you got questions about an A-B test you're thinking about running uh, or you're thinking about uh, you know designing one and uh, you want to ask about it, pop on over to our free Slack group, trustinsights.ai slash analytics for marketers with over 1,700 other marketers asking analytics questions, beginner and advanced alike, uh, all day long. And uh, wherever it is that you're watching or listening, if you want to get the show on the channel of your choice, hop on over to trustinsights.ai slash TI podcast, where you can find uh, every place that we do publish the show. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next time. Take one help solving your company's data analytics and digital marketing problems. Visit trustinsights.ai today and let us know how we can help you.